Chapter 19 of Zafloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. Zafloya by Charlotte Dacry. Chapter 19. Victoria, having passed a night of restlessness and agitation, fell into a slumber towards morning, from which she did not awaken till late in the afternoon. When she entered the saloon to join the family at dinner, her eyes irresistibly fixed upon the figure of Zefloya, who flew with alacrity to procure her a seat. During dinner she was silent and abstracted, and her regard continued involuntarily to turn towards him. In one of those hasty glances which pride would alone permit her to steal, it occurred to her that the figure of the moor possessed a grace and majesty which she had never before remarked. His face, too, seemed animated with charms till now unnoticed, and his very dress to have acquired a more splendid, tasteful, and elegant appearance. True it was that great was the beauty of Zefloya, to a form the most attractive and symmetrical, though of superior height, deriving every advantage, too, from the graceful costume of his dress, was added a countenance, spite of its color, endowed with the finest possible expression. His eyes, brilliant and large, sparkled with inexpressible fire. His nose and mouth were elegantly formed, and when he smiled, the assemblage of his features displayed a beauty that delighted and surprised. But still, to the present period, all this had been unnoticed by Victoria. The oftener she looked towards him, the more her astonishment increased that it should have been so, and she could not help thinking that Zefloya, before his sudden disappearance, and Zefloya, since his return, were widely different of each other. Whenever she cast her eyes upon the moor, she could perceive that he observed her, and not observed her only, but regarded her with a tender, serious interest, that filled her soul with a troubled sort of delight. At times she even thought he looked at her with a peculiar earnestness and animation. Yet her pride felt no alarm, but on the contrary she took pleasure in knowing that he gazed upon her. His place was near the chair of Enriquez, yet was he assiduous in attending to her. In every motion he displayed some new grace, and in the eyes of the vain Victoria his beauty increased every moment. For this once, though Enriquez was in her mind and in her soul, another occupied her attention and in spite of every attempt to divert it to other objects on that one as if by the irresistible force of magnetic attraction it perpetually turned to relieve herself from an indefinable oppression she soon rose from the table and wandered into the garden there throwing herself on a seat she began to brood over her criminal passion and the wildest thoughts rioted from preeminence in her brain detestable brenza she suddenly exclaimed, inspired by the basest hatred and ingratitude towards him. Detestable Berenza, selfish and unworthy wretch, that played upon my youth and deluded me into the misfortune of becoming thy wife. Had it not been for thee, and thy cursed arts, Enrique's heir now would have been mine, the baby Lilia, I would have banished from his heart. I would have rooted her thence, or from the earth, but that my energies are enslaved, my powers fettered by the hated name of wife, Enriquez should have yielded to my love. He should not have yielded only, but have gloried in it. Who is this minion, Lilia, a friendless upstart? She was no obstacle. I think not of her. Detestable Berenza, I say again, mean, calculating philosopher, it is thou, thou that I should wish annihilated. As she concluded, a faint echo seemed to repeat her last words in a low, hollow tone, as if sounding at a distance and borne by the wind. What was that? 
said Victoria mentally, but sound returned not. Ah, it was some mockery, she pursued, with a deep sigh burst from her guilty bosom. She drew her hand mechanically across her eyes for a moment, and as she removed it, she beheld Zofloya standing, though at a respectful distance before her. Surprise, accompanied by an emotion of anger, lightened through her mind that an inferior should thus presume to intrude upon her retirement. This latter sentiment, however, faded in an instant before the majestic presence of the moor. She looked upon him with an anxious air, but did not speak, and observed that in his hand he carried a bouquet of roses. "'Beautiful signora,' he said in a gentle voice, and gracefully inclining his body. "'Pardon me that I thus venture to appear uncalled before you, but these roses I gathered for you. Suffer me to strew them at your feet.' So saying, he attempted to scatter them before her. "'Zafloya!' cried Victoria, while her eyes wandered with admiration over the beauty of his form. "'No, you shall not strew them at my feet.' Give them to me, and let me place them in my bosom. There are too many for your bosom, sweet signora, but I will select you one, and of the rest I will form you a carpet. He took the choicest rose from the bouquet and strewed the remainder at the feet of Victoria. Then, extending his hand, he presented to her the rose which he had selected. Victoria stretched forth her hand to receive it, when as she did so a thorn ran deep into one of her fingers, and the blood issued in a large drop. Zafloya, apparent consternation, opened his vest and tearing some linen from his bosom, cast himself upon his knees and applied it with trembling eagerness to the wound. Victoria felt too surprised and was gratified to repulse him, and the more continued unchecked to press the blood from her finger and absorb it with the linen as it flowed. At length it ceased to do so. Zafloya pressed the crimsoned linen to his heart, and tearing from it every particle that remained unstained, he folded it up as a sacred relic and placed it in his bosom. Then, seeming suddenly to recollect himself, he appeared struck with confusion at his own audacity. He dared not raise his eyes to Victoria, and a dark red blush animated with lurid color his expressive countenance. Victoria, feeling irresistibly impelled, laid her hand upon his shoulder, and in a gentle voice said, Rise, Zafloya, and be not ashamed, for you have not done aught amiss. Say you so, signora? I rise then with confidence. And rising as he spoke, he humbly retreated a few paces from her. "'But why, Zafloya?' inquired Victoria with a smile. "'Have you deemed that piece of linen worthy preservation?' "'Worthy, lovely signora,' answered the moor, raising his fine eyes to her countenance and crossing his arms upon his bosom. "'It is of more worth to me than language can describe. It is of equal value to me with yourself, for it is a part of you, your precious blood.' Cherry will I, of course, and safely placed upon my bosom, no earthly power shall tempt me to resign it. As he concluded, his countenance glowed with a brilliant fire, and increased animation spread itself over his graceful form. The vanity of Victoria was flattered, and no guise did she disdain flattery, but was astonished at herself, however, that with such disparity of situation it should be sweet to her. She desired to banish all hostile reflection, and gazing upon the attractive moor, she saw such unconquerable fascination that her eyes sought the ground, as fearful to express the conscious emotion of her bosom. "'Wherefore, Zafloya?' she involuntarily said in a tremulous voice. "'Do you remain at such a distance?' "'I may then approach, Signora?' "'You may.' 
The more drew nigh, but as Victoria still remained in a recumbent attitude, he seated himself upon the earth at her feet. An oppressive gloom now took possession of the mind of Victoria. A weight of misery seemed pressing on her heart, and covering her face with her hand, she heaved a deep sigh. "'You sigh, sweet signora,' said the more in a sympathizing accent. "'May Zofloya venture to demand the cause?' "'The cause, Zofloya, ah! It is a cause which you cannot remove. It is a wound for which there is no balm.' "'Not so, perhaps, signora.' There was little in the words of Zofloya to excite hope in the bosom of Victoria, yet enlivening hope shot through her bosom and she half rose from her reclining attitude. Zofloya, she said in a doubting accent, finding that he did not proceed, what hope could you offer me? Some, perhaps, signora, name your grief. She started wildly from her seat. More, she exclaimed. Your words are big with meaning. They contain more than meets the ear. Quick, and tell me boldly all you would say. Zofloya rose from the ground. He presumed to take the hand of Victoria and led her again to her seat. In a moment she was calm. No, signora, deign to acknowledge to me what secret oppresses and has for long oppressed your soul. The more Zofloya may repay you for your confidence. The secret of Victoria hovered on her lips, hitherto it had remained unknown to mortal soul, and the gloomy solitude of her own perturbed bosom had she till now preserved it where like a poisonous worm and had continued to corrode. She was now on the point of betraying her inmost thoughts, her dearest wishes, her dark repinings and hopeless desires, of betraying them too to an inferior and an infidel. The idea was scarcely endurable, and she scorned it. But in the next instant she cast her eyes upon the noble presence of the moor. He appeared not only the superior of his race, but of a superior order of beings. Her struggles died away, and in hurried accents she involuntarily exclaimed, "'Oh, Enriquez, Enriquez!' The moor smiled. "'Why does thou smile, Zofloya?' cried Victoria with momentary indignation. "'You love Enriquez, Signora.' Yes, yes, to madness, to distraction. How canst thou smile and feeling more? Are you not a holy Catholic, Signora, yet to love so much an earthly being? Mock not at me, Zofloya, for that being I would forfeit my hopes of heaven. You smile again. I perceive I have condescended too far. You dare to make sport of my miseries? No, no, beautiful Signora. I only smile at your innocence. My innocence? She repeated with surprise, for conscience whispered that long since had fled. Yes, Signora, at your innocence, that in the midst of wishes so consuming could not instruct you to obtain them. Oh, say, can you instruct me? Can you arrange? Can you direct the confused suggestions of my brain? I think I could assist you, fair Signora. Oh, Zofloya, you would bind me forever to you, eagerly exclaimed Victoria. Enough, lovely signora. Tomorrow, at the dusk of the evening, deign to meet me here again. I see approaching towards us Il Conte Berenza and Signor Enriquez. Ah, I see them too. The hated Berenza, she said, while stronger loathing against him took possession of her heart. Farewell, signora, till tomorrow. 
said Zafloya, and precipitately leaving the arbor, he took a contrary path to that in which Berenza and Enriquez were advancing. Victoria continued with indescribable sensations to gaze after his graceful figure as it disappeared from her view, then, reluctantly leaving the arbor, she joined the Conte and Enriquez. With tremulous delight and with feelings of diminished pain, she stole frequent glances at the unconscious possessor of her soul. He observed her not, for the blooming Lila was hastening towards them, and in an instant he quitted the side of Victoria and flew towards her. At this sight, hate kindled fiercer than ever in the bosom of Victoria. She regarded the lovely orphan with the eyes of a basilisk, and wished that, like them, they possessed the power to destroy. Vain this evening were the mild endearments of Lila. She repulsed them with haughtiness, for the feelings in her bosom raged too strong to permit the assumption of kindness, and she experienced that, however her conversation with Zafloya might have imparted hope and have soothed in a degree the anguish of her mind, still it had increased, to the highest point of irritability, every violent and bitter sensation. End of chapter 19